The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. thought about why people act the way they do? Why are some people more difficult to deal with, while others are always pleasant? Let's find out together. Welcome to Human Behavior. What a trip. Your host is Dr. Jonathan Brower. Our program combines expert guests with people just like you who have questions or comments. We'll have fun exploring human behavior. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Brower. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Jonathan Brower. We're going to have a nice show. The name of my show, for those of you who haven't heard it before, it's Human Behavior, What a Trip. And uh, my guest is Dr. Russell Hoover, who's a psychologist, an interesting fellow, and he has a a new book out called Demand Healing. So welcome to the show, Dr. Hoover. Yeah, pleased to be here. Good, and uh, we'll go by first names, okay? I'll be Jonathan, and you'll be Russell. Sounds good. Okay. So um, before we get into your book, would you tell me and the uh, people who are listening uh, a thumbnail, a thumbnail uh, sketch of your growing up and what you liked to do as a kid and how you ended up becoming a psychologist? Well, um, that's kind of an interesting question. I just uh, re- re- recently uh, somebody had... Uh, um, you know, contact me saying, "Hey, I ought, to, I ought to do an autobiography." And I'd I'd seen a program on you know writing about yourself, and uh, I kind of thought of a title that I might use, although I don't, don't know if I'm going to do it. Do it, but uh, I thought a good title might be "Your Common Ordinary Middle Class Boy." Uh-huh. I thought that might be a good 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 title. It explains, you know, I, I was a middle class background um, in the uh, U.S. Yeah. Economic status. My father was uh, an insurance salesman, very successful sale- insurance salesman, and my mother uh, also worked as a, at a, as a as a beautician, uh, cosmetologist, and uh-huh. uh, she uh, ultimately she had four uh, beauty salons going at one time. Yeah. And I had the uh, dubious task of running those for a while too. Uh huh. Um, but yeah, average student, uh, public school background, and. Uh, um, family was, you know, a Christian background, and yeah. uh, we uh, we attended church. I got kind of an irregular, but we were, you know, yes. religious. And uh, um, I, I guess you'd say I'm still a believer. And yeah, uh, so, so there, I, I, your... my um, parents had always uh, wanted me to. Uh, well, really, all those kids to go to. Uh, uh, college, so I got got into college, and at the uh-huh. time, it's kind of interesting. I really didn't know what I was going to do, and um, I finally kind of got interested. Uh, I realized I was kind of interested in human behavior and uh, uh, therapy, especially. And uh, in my off time, I was reading about that a lot. So, how old were you when you started becoming interested in human behavior? 
Oh, I'd say I was in my early 20s. I see. And uh, one of the things I just kind of noticed that I, would, I liked reading about it, and I, I read a lot, a lot of different books about it, and uh, <clears throat> my uh, mother then kind of said, well, you know, you ought to go back. If you like that, you ought to go back to school, school and see if you get a, a degree in it. Uh-huh. So there was a uh, college in a community nearby that my, my dad knew, knew the, there, the psychologist there, professor, and, and I talked to him. And yeah. he kind of kind of gave me some ideas, some background. What could I what could I do? And uh, I got the name of a couple of schools and, and enrolled, and I got accepted from one. Uh huh. And uh, I guess I'd really I remember kind of deciding at the time that I was gonna I was gonna give it a good shot. I wanted to see how well I'd do, and if I didn't if you know if it didn't do well, then I was gonna kind of drop it. And uh, as I say, I was working for my parents at the time. Uh, so uh, I, I entered school, I enrolled in school, and um, um, it was a university, uh, Central University of Missouri State. Uh-huh. And um, actually, I did really good in the first uh, the first term. So I just I just kept going from there. <laughs> yeah, I remember the time I was going. I don't know if we're going to finish with this stuff. Yeah. And, and then so, uh, uh, once I graduated, I'd say one of the things that I kind of I clucked out in a way right afterwards because. Uh, there was a guy at the A.T. Steele Medical College, where I live now in Kirksville, Missouri. Uh-huh. And uh, he had been one of the professors at the school where I attended, and they were they were looking for somebody to come to work there. And, um, and this is after I kind of knew him, and my advisor said it was a good deal, so I, I got a job there. So I, I started off working at A.T. Steele University here in yeah. Kirksville, Missouri. And when you were working that's there, good job. I mean, really, I was doing a lot of the, a lot of the stuff I wanted. You know, basically, I was doing psychotherapy, but also I was uh, involved in teaching interns and externs and uh, uh, you know, how how you do psychometric psychological testing, and uh, but mostly uh, doing uh, psychotherapy. At that point, did you have your PhD? and I was there uh, worked there for about uh, ten fifteen years, and then I had a, another job offer. And wait, wait, hang on a one second. Things I'd say, I just I've just been involved um, since I got out of since I've yeah. graduated. I need to ask you a question. I've just been fully engrossed in uh, doing doing work in psychotherapy. So I've done lots of psychological testing, and but mostly I'd say I specialize in psychotherapy. And that included the you know training. Russell, can you hear me? Interns, externs and uh, Psychiatric residents. Okay. Uh, and um, how Russell? to do psychotherapy and psychology is all about. Russell, can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, okay. I wanted to ask you uh, when you were doing all these things you just said you were doing, was that after you had your PhD? Yeah. I see. So I want to go back for one reason. Okay. So, um, w- what year did you graduate from a college, at your four year college? No, my four. Okay, that was like yeah, that was like sixty-eight. Okay, and then um, when did you finish your PhD? Well, I uh, after I graduated undergraduate, I uh, I worked uh, like I said, I was working for my parents. I think I it was like about uh, nineteen. It was April nineteen seventy-four, actually. In <laughs> seventy-four, you got your PhD. Yeah. Yeah. Did you like your uh, graduate work? Yeah, I thought that was yeah. I. Uh, that was really uh, kind of interesting. You got to know a lot of people, a lot of the students in your in your class. That was kind of you yeah. mean just attending uh, grad school. Yeah, I think grad school is pretty cool because you're yeah. generally people who are going to grad school are um, very interested in what they're doing. So 
basically it's something they really like. Yeah, it seems, uh, I mean, in a way, it doesn't seem very long ago to me, but now yes, if I, I think about one of the things that's kind of unique. I remember the time I was in school, we, we they developed these uh, computers. Uh-huh. I mean, they called them computers. But yeah, they were huge really, rooms. Uh, they were just, just little adding machines. <laughs> and uh, this one could do square root. <laughs> you just push a button, you got square root. And so if you'd ever done statistics, you're doing square root a lot. And so we're just all kind of, you know, yeah, engrossed with <laughs> the square root. Now, I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't even buy these little dinky ones, you know, five, two dollar ones, or yes, <laughs> they have all that on there. But back in the early seventies, uh, computers were huge, and there were huge rooms for the computer. Right. Yeah. Very different from today. Yeah, my so, dad um, talked about the uh, insurance company he worked. They had their home office. And they had just this one uh, building, and all it was was full of these computers with these big tapes and everything. Yeah. Filled up the whole room. Yeah. And each year he'd go to visit, because they had, usually had some kind of a, yes. a workshop or something there he'd attend, and they, each year it was getting smaller. <laughs> okay. So uh, tell us about your your new book, Demand Healing. Uh, Demand Healing is a, um, it's the main topic is about mental health care and uh, uh, it's kind of an in-depth study, yeah. and it involves a, a, a critique of current kinds of ways therapy, psychotherapy is done. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, it, the the first section of the book is just basically a, a critique saying, here's what you can get if you go out and try to get some of these services, and uh, here's really uh, the what, what's wrong with them, you know. So, uh, and the second and third Seconds. There's three. The book consists of three sections. Yeah. And uh, I'd say the main, the meat of the whole book is, is involved in section two and three. Uh, the first section is important. I think for your your listeners, the first section would be important because it's kind of discussing about here's how psychotherapy is done, and and I'm doing it kind of a critical, but at the same time a humorous, fun type of way. Okay. Well, let's do that. So uh, in section one. Uh, the subtitle is Systemic Fallacies in Mental Health. Yeah. And then we have different chapters. So if we just start with Chapter 1, the chapter is called Getting Around Seattle with a Perfectly Good Map of Saskatoon. Yeah. Now, from anyone reading that, it doesn't make sense. You're going to help us make sense of it, aren't you? Yeah, I, I guess one of the, how's that related as well? That's kind of a funny way, I guess, or I'm trying to be humorous there, saying yeah, of course. we got all these good ideas. So, yeah. yeah, that sounds really great. Um, but is it a map that goes to what you're working with? Yeah. And I guess one of the things I'm saying is there's lots of ideas about uh, the way the mind runs. Yeah. And uh, um, the, one of the reasons, like we hear this have this kind of a service, mental health service, legitimate, you have many providers, and they're all doing treatment uh, different. There's yeah. Some, Unified ways on how they do it, some unified mistakes they do, uh, and they, you know, most of them, if they've been in the business very long, you know, or they've got pretty good ideas, but uh, do they relate to the way the mind really works? Right, so that's a good question. So, as you say, there's lots of ideas of how the mind works, but do any of us really know how the mind works? Well, I guess that's what I'm saying. I'm kind of uh, conceited enough to say, okay, now I've worked on these things. And I'm going to show you how we can get some... One of the things I think about 
why there's so many different versions of the mind, is that we think of the human mind as something, I've heard it described as the most complex thing in the universe. Well, it's very complex. Yes. Uh, but another thing I've always been surprised about, so here we've got this thing that's very complex, everybody agrees it's how complex it is, and then the way we're supposed to do it is usually very, very simple. <laughs> yes, well, it's complex, but it's also simplistic, too. Yeah, so the way the treatments are done is simplistic. Yeah. And usually, so simplistic, one of, one of the things I'm doing, one of the chapters, I'm just saying they're working on, on what's going on rather than the cause. Uh-huh. So saying, most, most treatments now are working on, the, on, the, on what's wrong. So you're working right. directly on the pressure, so I say, well, wouldn't it be better if you're working on what caused it? And uh, why would anybody really think otherwise? Yeah. So that's one of, like I think in the earlier sections, I'm saying that here's here's one of the some of the different ways people are doing therapy is that they're simply working on the cause. I mean, simply working on the uh, what's the symptom rather than the cause. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of the early chapter. But now now there's another chapter I have in there on mind candy. And so if you look at treatments available out there, the well, wait, 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 wait. Okay. So, um, we finished uh, Chapter 1 already, right? Yeah. I'm just, I'm just kind of skipping around there. You want to go ahead? Well, Chapter 2, you, you, the title is paying, paying for the Bliss of Ignorance. Tell us what you mean about that. Okay. Uh, that, that chapter, what I'm saying is one of the main things that's done in psychotherapy yeah. is... Uh, they're showing you how, and they're, they're training you how to use defense mechanisms. Yeah. And I'd say that's specifically uh, true to probably the leading forms of therapy today, especially cognitive therapy. So uh, what are defense mechanisms? I go quite a bit how, what, explaining what defense mechanisms are, but for just kind of a, a real quick definition, they're a way of um, defending against emotional um, Troubles, and emotional irritation, emotion. uncomfortable, bothersome emotion, uh, by redefining the way a person sees it. Yes. So you say, like so somebody makes a mistake, they're bothered about it, they're guilt-ridden, and, and then they say, well, it, it wasn't really my fault. Yes. So, so, so what, if your listeners out there, one, one kind of way they might think of it, if it's kind of an excuse, it's kind of an alibi but really what we're doing there is we're not we're we're changing the way it really could have occurred. We are compulsively avoiding the bothersome interpretation that's usually uh, there because we're all making mistakes and we're bothered about them that we then we we defend against them. So what I'm saying is that you, these defense mechanisms really kind of work like blinders. Yes, so if I if I tell myself, you know, it wasn't my fault anyway. They made me do it or something. Yes. Well, uh, then, then uh, if I go along with that interpretation, I'm not going to be bothered because it wasn't my fault. That may help, may reduce my bother. But what it what it what it does is doesn't won't allow me to go back to that original interpretation. So it yes. makes me compulsively avoid the original uh, uh, um, interpretation because if yes. I go back there, say, well, it was you know it really was my fault, and I've got the I'm stuck with the guilt again. So you say well, what they really what I'm saying there is these defenses are having a problem. We're ha- wait, we're having a problem because at times I want to uh, okay. say something and you just keep talking so I'm not sure <laughs> if you can hear me well enough. Okay, yeah, you okay. you are a little bit soft there, but I'll try to listen. Okay, I'll try to talk louder. Okay, there you go. So um, you're, what you're talking about the defense mechanisms, or at least this is the way I see it, which I think is close to how you do it, how you see it also. Yeah. 
the defense mechanisms keep people uh, away from what really is bothering them. And uh, the way I view it, defense mechanisms are a way to avoid emotional closeness because people basically want closeness, but there are many of people are afraid of emotional closeness. They put up defenses. Yeah, well, they're, they're, we tend to avoid the pain. So the emotional closeness of pain, you know, is bothersome. Um, it may cause me, you know, distract me, may, so I'm not thinking as efficiently and that kind of stuff. I'm trying to do as well as I can, but it's it's painful too. Okay. So I, you know, if I go for these things, you know, so you know, it really wasn't my fault. Or yeah, so there's all sorts of different kinds of defense mechanisms. Oh yes, there's there's many, many, many of them. Yes. Yeah. So really, they're a way, and I'm, I guess the title there of that chapter is like they're like blinders. Okay. And on that note, we're going to take a break for a uh, commercial break, and we'll come back in about a minute and a half or so. Okay. So hang on, everybody, and we shall return soon. Fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip, with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower. I'm with my guest, Russell Hoover, who's a psychologist. He's written a book called Demand Healing. And before we continue, uh, Russell, would you like people to have your website or your phone number should they want to get in contact with you? Um, yeah, they could. Um, uh, I think from my website would be, or I don't... Uh, okay, what's your website? Well, I'm give, I can give you my, uh, my address. would be Russell, R-U-S-S-E-L-L. Dot. Wait a minute, my pen's okay. Russell, okay. R U S S E L L dot dot Hoover H O O V E R Hoover at 
S-B-C Global. S-E-C Local? S-B as in boy. S-B-C. Oh, S-B-C. Global. Local. Global. Dot net. Local dot net. Yeah, G-L-O-B-A-L. Global. Oh, global. It's global. Okay, hang on a second or more. Global dot net. Yeah. So it's net, not anything else. Right. Just SBC Global at SBC Global dot net. SBC Global dot net. Okay. So people can reach you that way. Yeah, that's probably the easiest. Okay, and they can buy your book at Amazon and where else? Well, let's say any of like Barnes and Noble. Uh, Okay. The book is published by Ex Libris, and you can get it there. Okay, uh, uh, but I think any of the major uh, websites, especially those you know, sell books. Yeah, uh, they ought to have it, and it's uh, for your readers. Also, it's in, I mean, your listeners. It's also in ebook form. Okay, good. So they can hear that. Yeah. So it's like uh, if they buy that, I think that's even like only like four or five dollars a copy. Yes. A lot cheaper okay. Than that. Good. So let's get back to your uh, systemic follies in mental health. So chapter three is. Entitled "Tailor Made Doesn't Fit." What do you mean by that? Well, one of the things uh, I indicate in there is if, uh, like, if you're involved in any um, mental health services, especially if you're working for somebody else, typical would be uh, like a mental health center. And I've worked in Iowa, for mental health centers in Iowa and Missouri. They've got these uh, things they hand out about the 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 type of service you're supposed to, be, and it's supposed to be tailor made. Yes. To fit the uh, person. You're supposed to know all the ins and outs about the person and the strain. You talk about this. And so then you come up with a uh, a treatment that is, you know, sounds really great. Yes. Uh, but it's tailor-made to fit that person and that person only. Yes. So, but now if you stop and think, it's like now the way uh, mental disorders occur, just like any other kind of disorder, like any disease, there's kind of a standard way those things occur. Yes. And uh, so you're spending all your time, spending your wheels, finding out just what this person's like. You know, sometimes they spend like four or five sessions, they don't do anything, but just find out how to put what the person's like, what they do, and their yeah, strengths. It's too idiosyncratic. Huh? It becomes too idiosyncratic. Yeah, it's not, it doesn't even relate to what you're doing. Uh, yeah. And I mean, some people um, explain that in the chapter, they, they believe in that dictum so much that they say, you know, really, we're just not able to understand people well enough now. So in a few years, we'll probably learn how to understand people even better. So yes. we'll be able to come up with these kind of unique treatment plans for each and every every person. But, you know, if you look at the, you know, they've got depression, they've got anxiety, combinations of both, or they've yes. got acting out disorders, compulsive disorders. Yes. You know, and they have a very... You know, each of them are occurring for the, in, in a particular way for each individual. Yes. So if we go to chapter four, playing with mind candy, what, what, what do you mean by mind candy? might be different. Uh, you might be depressed because, I said, they had a relative die, somebody close to them, or somebody else is depressed, they've lost their job. So, you know, depression is associated with, associated with a loss. Yes. <clears throat> and so, I mean, we just say, well, uh, you know, you can kind of get a few pieces of information while so talking about that, uh, one of the classic kinds of things I remember in the past, now I live in the Midwest where we have a lot of farmers, and they were talking about this for a while. They talked about farm stress and how we really needed, you know, to be able to treat people, 
yeah. that disorder, you know, had, had farm stress, you needed to be, you know, far, a farmer yourself or have some understanding of how about, you know, farmers' lives as compared to, you know, people that are urban. Yes. So <laughs> what, are the major, what, what are the major stressors <laughs> for farmers? Well, at the time, there, there was the, uh, the, as I recall, there was a, a, a huge drought in the Midwest. And, I see. Uh, they need, they need were, water for their crops. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, you know, I can understand. You know, once you tell me the circumstance, I can kind of get down there and understand it myself. You know, they're always, yeah. farmers are always concerned about, you know, how the crop's going to grow this year. You know, of course. Their whole livelihood there is yes, dependent they, on that. they so, can't... Uh, it's a source of angst for you know most farmers all the time, but in that that period it was really you know serious because some of the more yeah sure. say, uh, better farmers, the ones that had would be as successful, were were losing lots of money. Yes, of course, and 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 uh, farmers can't control the weather, so it's a big problem. Yeah, so you know, like uh, how much how much do you? Uh, I was working for this uh, I was a hospital at the time, and they were saying, how much do you know about farmers? I mean, can you? Like you know, well, you know, I'm a I'm a therapist. I know how uh, emotional disorders occur, and I can I can pretty much tell you how to, I'd understand how it occurs with them. Yes. So when you talk about mind candy, what do you mean by that? Okay, mind candy is just uh, we're talking about uh, pharmaceutical treatment today. You know. I see. The SSRIs, selective reuptake inhibitors. Yes. And, uh, you know, I'm just kind of giving people a rundown of there, and I'm going over some of the, uh, I think, some things that you would never find in any book on some of the dangers of uh, pharmaceutical management, which... Yes, I agree. The, the physicians the really don't know about, they don't even tell you about, because what they know, most of them that are in practice, uh, they, they, the drug reps come in and they tell them how it's, you know, yes. what it's all about. This, yes. this is the way this one works, it's a... Uh, Reuptake inhibitor for uh, right. So, so there is a place for all this pharmaceutical, but it's probably way overutilized. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it is, uh, and I, I indicate that it's it's a value of in in certain situations. Yeah, it's not a good solution even then. But it, it's you know, there's sometimes you know, person's sick, they're in ICU or something, are going to be able to, you know, they're depressed. Yeah, sometimes they can be extremely pressed there, but you're you're not probably going to go in. Uh, I think sometimes we underrate how much they can be even helped then. Yeah, but uh, intensive psychotherapy at that point, you know, so then the pharmaceuticals are probably a better, much better option. Yes. So in chapter five, you have the great insight, and what is the great insight? Okay, the great insight is uh, uh, another way you could say that is uh, the great defense mechanism that they think. So I don't call it that there, but the insight is that uh, uh, I'm responsible for my feelings, and that there's nothing else responsible but me. And that's uh-huh. a big topic in in, in um, um, therapy. It's just, they just assume that it's true. You know, like you are bothering yourself. You know, it's not this. Farm stress. It's not the fact you're, you know, you're bothering. You're, you're responsible how you feel. Yeah. Which, as uh, we, uh, one of the things I'm doing in the next ch- section there, I'm saying, well, here's how mood works. We'll get that. It, 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 you know, it works on the, it's on the white matter. That's the involuntary part of the brain. Yeah. And it occurs pretty much involuntarily. But now there has to be certain certain circumstances for it would occur. But once those circumstances are there, you got it. You've got the the discomfort. Okay, I need to ask you to go back to uh, Chapter 6. Okay. When you say evidence-based on evidence defaced, so what do you mean by evidence defaced? 
Okay, well, what I'm referring to there, and, uh, and remember section one is a critique of what's going on now. I realize, yes. And here is one of the big, biggest hidden kinds of uh, flaws going on in uh, therapy now, which uh, most most uh, providers aren't aware of, people that do the therapy themselves. Yes. That's, that is that you have increasing numbers of people that are trying to get disability based on, uh, on, a, on mental disability. I see. So there's a certain population that wants to have disability to take care of them. And so they're not going to be trying to get better. Now, this is a, I'm saying that this is a huge community. You know, social, security disability, <coughs> excuse me, yes. social Security Disability is a, it's a huge... A lot of the people they have me see for testing now are people that are trying to get disability services. So you're yes. always trying to watch out what we call for uh, false positive symptoms. They're, they're trying to look sick. But one of the things I'm saying there, which is kind of important, is like... Uh, since it's so rampant, you know, they're doing it as much with kids as they do with adults. Yes, it's a terrible problem. So how do you problem. do that with a kid? How do you, how do you make a kid, uh, uh, how would you get your child, you're trying to get an income off your child, how do you, how do you get your kid to act that way? Yes. Because they don't know anything about it. So I have a question for you. Okay. What's your guesstimation as to what percentage of the, uh, let's say, the American population, USA population, does this kind of thing to get disability? Well, um, I, I'm trying to think back in my book. I, I've got that number list in the book. I think it's like probably about, um, well, the, the percentage is increasing, but I'd say 20 to 40 percent of them. It depends on where you're living and so forth. Okay. Well, if we Sometimes split, if, well if we split the difference between 20 and 40, if we say on the average 30 percent of the people are wanting disability, and let's say most of them get it, that's a huge problem. Exactly. So remember, one thing I guess I'm saying, these people don't get better. In fact, once they get it, what I'm saying is really the problem is for the person because once they get accepted, they've got to keep on proving they're disabled because, you know, they, they check you. They want to make sure you're still disabled, maybe got over. And uh, disability assumes that you've got effective treatments out here. Everybody says how great they are. So some of these people ought to be getting better. So they're checking them out. So... Really, they got to keep looking bad. And so yeah. when you talk to, and I get people like that, or I've had people like that, in treatment, uh, they just never get better. They get worse. They, yes. So they actually end I up point having out a miserable life. Go ahead. I said they end up having a miserable life. Exactly. And uh, so really, another thing is like, how would I prove, how would I keep proving that I'm, I'm in need of mental health services? One yeah. way, I, I might, you know, try to kill myself. I might get suicidal. So... A lot of them realize if they've been admitted to uh, a, a hospital, psychiatric hospital, uh, once or twice a year, that's a good indication they still need the, the, the money. Yes. So for chapter, for your section one and chapter seven, what, you have a conclusion. What's the conclusion you have for this section? Well, uh, I, what I'm just saying is, hey, how we've looked at it, we've got a brief kind of look at uh, how else some of the flaws in psychotherapy, but uh, we can see there are these flaws, and so... Uh, that's why we need something new. We need something that, that would work a little bit better. Yes. Avoid all these mistakes that are done. So really that, uh, I'd say, is for most providers, most people that do therapy. Uh, the, the interesting part of the book, the, the heart of the book, lies from uh, in, cha in Section 2 and cha Section 3. Yes, well, let's go to Section 2. Okay. And 
the uh, what you have written for section two is see how it runs, and then yeah. colon. Then the then it says the disposition and general nature of botheration. Right. Tell us what botheration means. Botheration is means uh, I'm sensitized. I'm bothered about something, and I explain that people understand the term bother. So that's why I've used the term bother. Most people understand what bother means. I'm upset. I'm bothered about something. I'm depressed. You know, I've got anger issues. I you know, have them all. Maybe sometimes I'm guilty. Yeah. Although, although, for me, from my point of view, the kind of way when I do therapy, bothered and upset are vague terms. They're not clear. They're not clear. And people use people often will say uh, I'm upset when they're actually enraged, but they don't want to uh, acknowledge their rage. Well, of course, there you got to defend. <laughs> What? Uh, uh, and a lot of times I'm, I'm kind of, I understand that and kind of go along with it. I do not see therapy as confrontational. I see it as a collaborative effort. Well, it's, it's not confrontational in the usual sense of the word. When um, the child uh, experiences their, their parent as being hurtful to them mm-hmm. uh, and cruel to them, the, par- the child has retaliatory rage unconsciously in their body. Right. They push it down, exactly. and then they end up Off getting automatic. depressed. So that's not being confrontational, that's just being aware of how they feel their feelings, but most people quickly um, push down their feelings with their depression, and then for the rest of their life they have to punish themselves for nothing they've actually done in reality. It's all been a fantasy. That's how I see it. Uh, well, uh, can be different. what I would say is that, he, and what I explain in the book there, is each person's personal universe is a little bit different. Uh-huh. So, so uh, although I'm, I'm reacting uh, the way things are happening to me, that's not exactly the way the way things are happening to other people. So, something that, that bothers me, they might feel good about it for some reason. They like it. Uh-huh. You know, I don't like to watch. Uh, I'm really not too interested in uh, some of these soap operas on TV. But now, yes. uh, some people are going to be bothered if they don't get it. They miss one of those. <laughs> yes. To me, it's not an issue at all. I'm not even watching them. Yes. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is uh, I, what I try to do, and I even tell people this, you know, I've got to kind of set my ego down here on the floor if I'm going to understand where you're coming from because I'm going to have all this interference with my own ego. Uh-huh. What I tell people is I'm going to set my ego down here on the floor, and I want to just kind of see how things are from your uh, understanding, and uh, uh, I want you to kind of direct me with that. Your job is to direct me. Am I following you correctly? You're saying it's this way. Is it kind of like this or is it more like that? And then they say, well, it's more like this. Mom comes in and she says, I've got to make my bed. You know, I'm, not, I'm busy doing other things. <clears throat> so Mom says to the child, you have to you'd make be your mad. bed? You're saying that I might just say you'd be mad. And what I call that uh, is issue clarification. And that's in a very important part of therapy. It's like, okay, so his, he's up there. His mom wants him to make bed, clean his room. She's yelling at him about that or something. And then, then we kind of, so then, then you're, you, that's what you're mad about. Yeah. So you're saying so, that. So, so would we also be? Well, wait. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Go ahead. The kid is angry at his mom. You're saying because uh, she wants him to make his bed and he doesn't want to. Exactly. Yeah. That's why he's made. Even said, "I don't want to. I've got. I'm. I'm a, got other things I want. I want to do." Uh huh. So, so I'd say, okay. So now, what we're going to do is, I'm going to show you how to uh, not be bothered about that. And how do you show them that? 
we're, we're not we're not having any defense mechanisms. Okay, so now, uh, and one of the things I coach him on is because I want him to see that when we try to start solving that, we try to get him stop getting bothered about something. You know, my wife's cheating on me. So how do we? You know, we don't even know that for sure. But how would we we how would we help the person? Is to say, uh, how do we uh, how do we how would we stop the mood to that? Yeah. I'll tell you what, we're going to take another um, break for commercial. We'll come back in a minute or two. Okay. So uh, hang on, everybody, and we'll be back very shortly. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield, total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip, with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. Back to the show. I'm Jonathan Brower. My guest is Russell Hoover. He's a psychologist. He's written a book, interesting book, called Demand Healing. And before we get back to the book, for those of you who may not have been able to write it down before, I'm going to give you his website should you want to um, make contact with him. So his website is Russell, R-U-S-S-E-L-L, dot Hoover, H-O-O-V-E-R, at sbcglobal.net. So if you want to make contact with them, that's how you can do it. Okay, Russell, back to the show, so to speak. Okay. So um, in Section 2, the first um, part you have is uh, formatting. That's Chapter 8 of the whole book. Okay. And um, what do you mean by formatting? Well, let me just say, when I was uh, getting into, starting to get in Chapter 2, or Section 2, what I'm doing is saying, okay, I'm going to introduce these concepts uh, which would apply to any kind of uh, botheration. What causes it? What what makes it as tense as it is? What does Uh it do to you when you have these? What kind of effect does it have? 
Yes. So I was trying to think, how to, what, what's a good segue, a good intro to that? And um, I, you know, I kicked around several ideas. One of the, one of the ideas I came up with was fairly unique and uh, I'd say original. And that is what I'm saying is one of the things that distinguish life from non-living things uh-huh. is that non-living, life is governed by feelings. By feel. Yeah. I use the word feel. So we got the basis of life is feel as opposed to others, other uh, uh, non-living things. So I explained that, you know, like non-living things uh, can evolve, they can change, they can um, they can do all sorts of things that we might see as occurring with life, but they don't do it on the basis of feel. Uh, let me, I'm okay. not clear. Yeah. You're talking about feelings, right? Well, just talking about feel, like just take uh, some kind of uh, you know, very undeveloped life form. I'm saying there's what we, from what we understand, uh, the the difference between life and non-living things is feel. Okay, and so then what, a what living... I'm saying later on, there's like it's kind of going to go on with that. I'm saying you know it's kind of a bipolar thing as the way the way feel would work. That is, uh, we have uh, a positive, good, good feel. Yeah. When I'm in uh, when I'm in the right, going the right way, when I'm doing the right thing, and then we'd have the uh, the painful feel when I'm doing the wrong thing. Okay, I need to ask you a question. Sure. We're talking about uh, life where there's feel. Would that include plants? Are we talking about animals and insects? We're we talking about what? We're talking about all life forms. One one of the things I say, you know, a plant is uh, uh, growing these, elongating these tentacles we call roots, and it's doing by direction of feel. Now, there's some. Uh, if you look at some of the studies, they're showing how plants, uh, you know, they're growing roots. Yes. And they're they're growing them in a direction towards some goal, like usually water sources, that kind of thing, uh-huh. uh, or sunlight. So so uh, you know they're that that's governed by feel. So one of the things I'm saying about feel, you know, how's that relate to what we're what we're talking about here? Yeah, especially is, human beings. Uh, uh, feel uh, from feel, even the simplest life forms, kind of gives you a sense of connectedness because whatever feels, that's me. So. Uh, on a primitive way, uh, uh, you know, very simple life forms that they distinguish self from non-self by feel. Yeah. The feedback it gives them. See, so what I then kind of jumping forward a little bit here. So I say, if you look at more advanced organisms, uh, feel evolved into uh, not actual um, consummation with the circumstance. You didn't have to actually touch it. And the way that happened is through hormonal responses that are governed by uh, awareness. Okay, but if we just, for a moment, focus on human beings, or at least mammals, (laughs) if not just human beings, um, the the whole issue of feel and feelings is very different than with, let's say, an ant. Mm -hmm. You know, the insect ant, not the... That's true, but I'm saying the basis of feel, whether an ant or a human, is still involves this uh, a sense of, hey, I'm doing the right thing. If I'm feeling good, I'm, do- I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm doing the adaptive thing, the yeah. adaptive thing, if I'm getting this good sense of feel. And if I'm getting a bad sense, I'm going to go away from that. Now, uh, as we, we, as I say, as we develop more complex, more, life, more complex life forms evolved, yeah. <clears throat> um, they had these uh, other capacities that have originally involved, 
And yes. one of the capacities that, that evolved was the ability to have feel uh, indirectly. And that's done is yeah. me through mood. <laughs> mood is uh, I'm aware of something. I see, hey, it's a danger. There's the tornado coming. There it's going away. And I have appropriate mood um, to, with that. And that's not, you know, didn't even touch me. Yes. <clears throat> so I'm saying, you know, really an expansion of this basis of life form. By the way, also to kind of suggest that if you got feel, where you got feel, yeah. you also have something else unique to the universe that doesn't otherwise exist. You've got intention, you've got direction. And direction from whom or what? From the feel of feeling good or feeling bad. So it, that bipolar input is, is governing that, uh, the direction, and that's different from many other sources out there in the universe. Okay, what so if we go to chapter... How life differs from non-life is feel. Yeah, all right. So I, one of the examples I say, you know, water's pretty much stuck running downhill, but salmon go swimming off the other direction. Yes. So, so with feel, you have uh, uh, the potential for acting contrary to the way the things unfold. Yes. It doesn't just, it's not just like straight cause and effect, in other words. Yes, but when the salmon are going upstream, that's just what they have to be doing. They're just programmed to do that. Yeah, they they, they don't have think intent. about it. They, they just have do intent. It. They're trying to get some, they're trying to get something resolved. They're trying to get closer, I guess, to going back to where they nest. Yes, in the end, they end up dying anyway. So, in chapter nine, you have principles yeah. and barest basics. What are the barest basics? Or is that what we've been talking okay, about? Okay, so so then I'm saying, all right, and I kind of introduced that from format. I said, now we're going to be going into the section where we discuss these specifics of how it works. And in that section, I'd say one of the, the key things there is I, I'm trying to use what, what are, call, I call them, they're the laws. We've got the laws of botheration. Cause, uh-huh. what, what causes it? What makes its intensity? And then what it does. So there's basically three... Uh, um, Laws to the laws of botheration, and but really what they are, they're put. Uh, those are statements. The laws are statements which are put in form that are irrefutable. They're postulates, in other words. Yes. Yeah, so that so they're postulates, but they're not necessarily what actually goes on. It's just a postulate. Yeah. So, but the, the postulate there is how how mood would work. I'll give you one of, one of the things you might say. What is what is how does the postulate work? Well, like. One one example I like to say is all measurement is approximate, never exact. Of course. So that's postulate. Yes. You know, if some people might say, oh, is that really true? And then they say, think about it. All of them might say, yeah, I think that is true. So that's kind of the way a postulate, you know, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. So Absolutely, some people yeah. might say, is that right? Well, then they think of it and say, yeah, that's never been disproven. <laughs> so what I'm saying here is, is like, I'll give you an example. One of the, one of the, and I use this a lot in treatment, is the okay is never an original source of irritation. What do you call it? A B-OK? The okay. Things we call okay. And B-OK okay stands think for of okay are never an original source of irritation. So what then I kind, of like, you know, I kind of, I use that a lot. I mean, I kind of, Russell, I need to ask you a question. What does that mean? Russell. I'm like, like asking, what, is, what does that Russell, mean? Russell, I need to ask you a question. Sure. When you say B-OK, is that an acronym or is that something else? No, it's just it's, it's like we use somebody to say that's okay. Oh, I see. But you said I thought you said be okay. The oh uh, no, the okay. The the okay. The okay is never an original source of irritation. Now that's now some people say I don't know about that. But if you think about it, you say 
something that you could conceive of is okay. Yeah. You could never be bothered about that. So I don't, what I, I'm not clear. Why do you have the Z in front of the okay? What does the Z stand for? The? The word the? Oh, the. I'm sorry. I thought you the were okay. saying the okay. The okay is, a never, is never an original source of irritation. Okay, so if we go to the... Let's, we'll get to the original source. That's important to know because oh, what they're going to say, because I'm going to... I'll sometimes even tell them in advance. So when you tell me now, when we start getting into this, and you tell me you see it's now okay, you see you kind of went off center there? Yeah. And they'll say, well, yeah, I see that. So then, sure enough, that's what they do. Now what I'm doing there is I'm saying, okay, okay is a defense mechanism. So... We're not going after secondary sources. We're going after the original source of irritation, which could not have been something okay if you're bothered. All right. So what about coincidental matters? Uh, coincidental matters, I'm kind of uh, tying in what I would call a few loose ends there that uh, really, I mean, I think that's kind of a detailed explanation section of things that you really have to kind of know about. But if you're in treatment, if you're doing treatment, if you're in treatment, it's kind of good to know. And like one of the one of the things we're talking about there is uh from my studies, what I'm seeing and uh it's it may seem like kind of a minuscule part of therapy, but uh when you have a good mood, uh uh-huh. pleasant about something, especially if it's occurred just right after you've been upset or you've been bothered about something, Angry, there's, yeah. there's a tendency to think that the good mood also uh means you're safe. Yes. We, we only so have, so we have additional left. good um, mood. A lot of times, you have additional good mood uh, when you, when you're having a when a good mood to a good mood. In response to a good mood, I have an additional good mood because I then think I'm safe. Yes. So um, then let, let's quickly go to wrapping up, test your knowledge, and then we, let's go to section three. We only have a couple of minutes left. Well, there. Once again, what I'm doing there is I'm I'm giving, saying, okay, we've talked about this, and so here's some questions you ought to be able to answer if you're understanding it, and if you don't, you might probably know back, need to go back and, and re- reread it. So one of the examples there I have is I say, let's a person, uh, suppose a person could think about five things. I think I have this exact one. Yeah. But uh, uh, of all the five things they could think about at that instant, uh, one of them is bothersome. Now, which one of the five things do they think about? I guess the one that has the highest valence for them. Exactly, which would be bother. Yeah. And most, almost all people see that. But what I'm yeah. trying to say that, you, you know, like oh, yeah. bother gets your attention. Mood, nope. one of the functions, mood yeah. does it. Okay, let's go to section three, cracking the change barrier. What do you do for that? Well, uh, that's where I really get into, really, the last chapter, the last section, really, that's the meat of the whole book. Is there. So I'm saying, okay, since we know these things, we know how mood occurs, we know the intensity and so forth, then how how would we set up a way to work on mood that that is effective, and and so that would mean just as an example, and you'll understand this is how do we set it up so it works so we don't just set up mo- uh, defense mechanisms. Yeah, we're actually going going after that. So one of the things I'm saying there and I emphasize a lot, you could even call the method no change method, because we're not trying to change the way you think. We kind of stay in. If you're bothered, we want to stick with that perspective. Till we get it uh, desensitized, till we get it unbothered. So that's kind of the key, and I explain why that's key because the mind is going to try to slip away to get unbothered. It just does uh-huh. that innately. So when I talk about you know uh, antiseptics using medication, I say the antiseptic we use in, in, in mental therapy is holding that information still. 
So then we can apply whatever we need to do to, uh, in this case, uh, reduce the mood. Who's applying it, the patient or the therapist? Well, that's a two-way. I'm, I'm kind of saying, okay, here's what to do, and then, uh, I say, uh, then I see if they can explain it to me. And then we practice doing it. Sometimes I, I might say it's kind of like I'm going to show you how to do this dance step to give them an, uh, an analogy. Uh-huh. And, and like right now it's going to, you know, it's going to seem uh, like it's something just really doesn't make sense or it's difficult to do or something like that. But as a dance step, if you do it several times, pretty soon you kind of get the movement down. So that's kind of what we're, what we're doing here. Uh-huh. When they, if they add this information or uh, the anecdote, which is information if it's the mood, uh, then uh, you still have the same, if you've done it right, you've still got the same interpretation, which is probably right. You know, it was your fault. Yeah, I yes. guess I see it is my fault. But they're no longer bothered about it. So yeah. then why would they be trying to use a defense mechanism? So, uh, no longer we have about, bothered about the reason. We have about 25 seconds left. Okay. Is there anything you want to say to wrap it up? One thing I would say is, I th- uh, one, one I, what I think about this book is really kind of a special and very unique bu- uh, book uh, some people ask me why? Why did you write it? Well, I didn't. Th- if I didn't write it, I didn't see that it could ever be done. So one of the reasons I wrote it is I thought it couldn't be done. However, when I got into it, I really, uh, I kind of think really I outdone myself. Well, good. I hope you. I hope a lot of people buy the book and like it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Well, we've had our time here. Thank you so much for being my guest. Pleasure. And um, I hope the book does really well. And I'll speak to you at a later time, and we'll. Um, Wrap things up for, between you and me, okay? Sounds good. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay, everybody, that's the show for today. Human Behavior, What a Trip is going back in a suitcase and will come out again next week. So I'll be with you then. This is Jonathan Brower saying goodbye for now. Thank you again for listening today. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have fun experiencing your human behavior. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.